Let's bow in prayer. Father, thank you for this, your word. Thank you for how it speaks to us today. Thank you for how it points to Jesus. I pray that you would cause us to be attentive to your word now, that we would be listening for your voice, that we would be equipped by your word and sent out in the power of your spirit, not only to have learned from your word, but to do it and to share it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I have been a part of four building projects over the course of my ministry years. And uh, building projects are, are exciting, and they're also really challenging. It, it takes a lot of variables coming together to build a building. And, and as challenging as all of that is, it is more challenging still to build a community of faith. You, you build a building with block and mortar. You build a community of faith with living stones. Uh, a building, uh, a community of faith is, is a dynamic thing. Uh, those building blocks of living stone are always in process. They're always changing. They're always moving about. It's kind of like trying to gift wrap a baby duck. Have you ever tried that? Uh, there is something always popping up or popping out that if you don't take care of will derail the whole thing. Just when you think you've got it settled, something else pops up. Why is that? Well, it's because you don't build a community of faith with brick and mortar inanimate objects that stay in place when you put them there, you build a community with living stones, human lives. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Living stones being made into a spiritual house. Building with living stones is a tricky thing. Living stones are different from regular stones. They're always in process, always moving. They don't just sit around like regular stones. They move and they change. And you need to pay attention to that as you build with living stones. And like a baby duck, living stones are tender. You don't just slap some mortar on one and stick it in its place. You have to find the unique place that God has intended for each one and, and help that living stone to find its way into that place. Pastors and other church leaders are wise to recognize that you have to handle living stones with great care. Living stones are the basic building block of the community of faith. So how do you build with living stones. That's what we want to consider this morning as we look at Ezra chapters 7 and 8. We're going to see how Ezra approached that task of building a community of faith made of living stones. We're going to look at the kind of leader that God uses, and then we're going to look at the kind of people that he uses 
to build a community of faith. Chapter 7 deals primarily with the kind of leader, and chapter 8 primarily with the kind of people that God uses. So let's look at chapter 7 and consider the leader that God uses. Now, back up a little bit, and and you'll remember that, that King Cyrus proclaimed a decree that sent Zerubbabel back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, along with a number of other people that had been in captivity in Babylon. So Zerubbabel went back and rebuilt the temple, completed the rebuilt temple around 515 B.C., Many years later then, Ezra, the author of this book, who recorded the events about Zerubbabel, went back himself in the year 458 B.C. as God's new man on the scene for God's new mission there in Jerusalem. And so when we read in the first verse of chapter 7, now after this, we're talking of a gap from Zerubbabel to Ezra of more than 60 years. And Ezra's mission would be different than Zerubbabel's mission. Zerubbabel rebuilt the temple. Ezra would rebuild the community, and he would do it around the word of God. Ezra has been described as a second Moses, a man who is committed to the revealed word of God. He's different from Zerubbabel, and he's different from Nehemiah as well. And Nehemiah would follow him by 12 or 13 years, and Nehemiah's task would be to rebuild the city wall. And so um, Zerubbabel rebuilds the temple, Ezra rebuilds the community, and Nehemiah rebuilds the wall. Now the text gives us some insight into the man himself. Ezra is described in verse 6 as a teacher who was skilled in the law of Moses. So he's he's able to handle the word of God. And verse 10 sheds further light on this man. It says, Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. That's the kind of leader that it takes to build a community of faith. Anyone who wants to lead well in the church, the body of Christ, would do well to study and follow the example of Ezra. So let's take a look at that up close, focusing on verse 10. The kind of leader who God can use to build a community of faith is, first of all, one who will study the Word of God. Look at verse 10. Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord. He studied it. He was familiar with it. Verse 6, he was skilled in the law of the Lord. Literally, that word skilled means quick. He was quick with the word of God. He knew where to turn in the word of God for an answer. He didn't need to pull a concordance off the shelf. He had it in his mind because he had been studying the word of God to the point where he was skilled. He was quick with the word of God, able to get around quickly in Scripture. I picture him as, as the kid who always would win in sword drills. You know, you, you, you give a group of kids an obscure verse to look up and you reward the first one to find it. You know, that would be Ezra. He was skilled. He was quick with the word of God. And there's only one way to get skilled with the word of God, to get quick. And there's no quick way to do it. It's through taking time to study God's word. 
We've got some people here in this congregation whose grasp of God's word blows me away. And if you were to ask them how they got there, they would tell you through spending lots of time in God's word. There are a lot of things that can help you do that, but there is no substitute for it. It takes time in God's word to get skilled with God's word. Let me mention just a few tools, though, that can help us get into God's Word, some tools that I have found helpful. One is called YouVersion. Uh, it is a website and also an app that you can put on your phone or your tablet, and uh, it is really helpful. Uh, it has reading plans, Bible reading plans of all sorts in it. It's got uh, devotional studies. It's got word searches. I use it all the time. Really highly recommend it. Another one is Blue Letter Bible. Uh, I use Blue Letter Bible for looking things up. It's great for word searches, and then you can cut and paste what you find if you are creating a document of your own. Another one that I've learned about recently, thanks to Dave Cullum, is Bible Arc. And Bible Arc just has a lot of great capabilities. Another one that I've learned about recently, thanks to AJ, uh, is called Literal Word. It's, it's an app. I didn't have a slide for that one. I just learned about it recently. Uh, literal word can actually, when you click on a word in the text, will give you the Greek or Hebrew and its meaning. And so very helpful in terms of digging behind the English. Uh, one that, that we do have a slide for is five psalms. You may remember me telling you that a, a good thing to be in the practice of doing is reading five psalms in a proverb daily. And when you do that, you cover the entire book of Psalms and the entire book of Proverbs monthly. And so to do that, you start with today's date, and then you add 30 and add 30 and add 30 and add 30. Uh, this one does it for you, uh, this great little app. And so you open it up, and today it starts you on Psalm 25, and then you scroll over, and it'll give you Psalm 55, and then 85, and so forth. And you can go into settings and have it add the chapter of Proverbs for the day as well. So, five Psalms. You know, you put that all together, and it has never been easier to get into God's Word and to dig into it for ourselves. Never been easier to get skilled with God's Word. Ezra was the kind of leader who could build a community of faith because he was one who had studied God's word to the point where he was skilled with it. We need to be leaders like that. We have leaders like that in this church, I'm thankful to say. And we can each be leaders like that ourselves. So the kind of leader who God can use to build a community of faith is, first of all, one who will study God's word. Secondly, he's one who will do God's word. Again, verse 10, Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it. It's not enough to study the Bible. The Bible is not just a book of facts to know. It is intended to shape lives. God uses his word to shape us more into the likeness of Christ. 
And the first life that we need to see shaped by God's word is our own. And when we will put God's word into practice in our own lives, we can then share out of our own firsthand experience the value of spending time in God's word. We, we can tell someone, this works. This works. I know it because I've experienced it myself. Uh, and so our, our words ring with authenticity when we recommend things about studying God's word to others when we can recommend a tool that we've found helpful, when we can recommend a prayer with fasting, when we can recommend journaling, because we've done these things. If, if we're recommending something that we haven't done ourselves, we're stuck as soon as the person we're recommending it to says, well, how does this work out? For you, Or have you run across this problem with that? And we go, well, I've, I've never really actually done it myself. I'm just recommending it. You see, it takes time, though, and experience in God's word to be able to, to, uh, to speak to others and, and recommend things that will be helpful as they study God's word as well. So one that God can use to build a community of faith is, first of all, one who will study God's word, secondly, one who will do it, and third, one who will teach God's word. Again, verse 10, Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. When you know God's word and when you're doing God's word, then you're qualified to teach God's word. One of the qualifications for elder that we looked at in 1 Timothy chapter 3 is that an elder needs to be apt to teach. And you look at the rest of the qualifications for an elder in 1 Timothy 3, and you see they're all character-based. This one seems uniquely to be skill-based, apt to teach. But one commentator suggests that it may actually have more to do with character than we think. Uh, it may have to do with how people are responding to us when we teach. That becomes more of a character issue, doesn't it? Uh, the best way to know if you're apt to teach is whether or not anyone is responding to what you're teaching. And unless you're growing in God's word yourself and putting it into practice in your own life, people won't be responding to what you teach. But when you're qualified to teach God's word, you really should teach it. It's too good to keep to yourself. Invest in the lives of people by showing them the beauty of God's word. I'm thankful for homes all through this congregation where the word of God is being faithfully taught. And if you don't have children to share God's word with, there are others that you can invest in. Invite a friend to coffee and study a section of God's word together. Don't think that you need additional training before you can start. Just start where you are and share what you are learning now from God's word. If you want to be a leader who helps build a community of faith, keep the word of God central. Study it, do it, teach it. It's our final authority for all of life. It's our roadmap. It's our owner's manual. We need this book. 
if we want to build a community of faith. So that's the kind of leader that God uses to build a community of faith, one who studies and does and teaches the Word of God. So chapter 7 deals with the leader. Chapter 8 deals with the lead. The lead. What's it take to build a community of faith? It takes good leadership, but the other side of the coin is that it takes people who are willing to be led. We all take our turn at leading and following. Without good followers, good leaders won't accomplish anything. Someone wisely said, if you think you're leading but nobody's following, you're only taking a walk. I've taken a number of walks in my day. How about you? Yeah. So what do good followers look like? Well, first of all, verses 15 to 20 of chapter 8 tell us that they are people who are willing to serve in the house of God, willing to serve. We find in chapter 8 that Ezra looked over the people who were going to Jerusalem, and he saw there weren't any Levites there. Verse 15 says, I gathered them to the river that runs to Ahava. There we camped three days. As I reviewed the people and the priests, I found there were none of the sons of Levi. No Levites there. Now, the Levites were the priestly line. They served in the temple. And also, we find in verse 20, a mention of temple servants. Uh, these were the ones who did more menial tasks for the Levites. Uh, they were missing uh, from the lineup of people who were going to Jerusalem. Why weren't there any of these people uh, in the group going to Jerusalem with Ezra? Well, it's because it would be a tough and dangerous trip, and it would be tough duty once they got there pioneering work, starting from scratch. These people were comfortable right where they were, the text tells us, in Casafia. I think that would make a great movie title, wouldn't it? Comfortable in Casafia. You know, maybe we could get uh, you know, Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks to star in, in the movie. Just wanted to make sure you're still paying attention here. Just make sure that that's not the title of your life story. Comfortable in Casafia. I lived in Colorado for a number of years. You know how Colorado got settled? It got settled by people who were intending to go to California who ran into the Rocky Mountains. The mountains are beautiful to look at, but you wouldn't want to lead a wagon train through them. That's what happened. They decided dry ground and sagebrush looked pretty good, and so they settled down in Colorado. And that's what's going on here in the book of Ezra. Uh, these Levites were comfortable in Casaphia. Why undertake a thousand-mile journey to go to a place that didn't have any of the amenities that they were used to in Casaphia? When we started the church in Wausau, we didn't have anything. I was the only staff member. We didn't have a building of our own. We rented a union hall on Sunday mornings. And we had to rent space somewhere else in town every time we wanted to do something else. If we thought of a program we wanted to do, we had to find a place to house it. Well, we outgrew our first meeting room at the Union Hall, and we started renting half of the banquet hall upstairs. 
we rented half of it because we couldn't afford to rent all of it. And so the custodial staff cleaned the half that we rented. The trouble is uh, we had to walk through the half we didn't rent in order to get to the half we did rent. And uh, it was sloshed over on Saturday night with spilled beer. And so Sunday morning early, I would show up in my suit, grab a mop and a bucket, and, and mop out a path through this half of the banquet hall that we didn't rent so our people didn't stick to the floor walking into the half that we did rent to worship there. I remember people who would visit us in those early pioneering days at the Union Hall. Good, solid Christian families who could have really helped us in the work. And they looked around and they said, let us know when you get established. Let us know when you get a youth group. Let us know when you get a building of your own. They were consumers. They were evaluating what we had to offer in terms of what they were used to receiving. They'd gotten used to receiving. Rolling up their sleeves and serving wasn't what they were after. But if you're going to build a community of faith, you need people who are willing to serve. Ezra was in Babylon at the start of chapter 7. He knew the temple in Jerusalem was in place, thanks to Zerubbabel. He knew if he was going to build a community, he needed to bring people who would serve in the temple, who would make that temple the center of community life. And so he went and got them in chapter 8. There is a thing called the Pareto principle. You probably know it better as the 80-20 rule. 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. 80% of the giving comes from 20% of the people. 20% of the people will be working hard while 80% will be enjoying the benefits. But what we need to see is that in the body of Christ, 100% is gifted. 100% is called and the community won't be effectively built without people who are willing to serve. The effectiveness of the community of faith will be directly proportional to the percentage of people willing to serve. We need everybody in. The New Testament model of ministry recognizes the priesthood of all believers. In 1 Peter 2.9 it says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. It is the priesthood of all believers, not just some. And the New Testament model of ministry also reflects church leaders who equip and mobilize everyone to find their place of service. Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 13 says this, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to what? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. When we will all work together in community in the cause of Christ, we will be the church God has intended for us to be. 
our effectiveness will be directly proportional to the mobilization of all of us to serve. And our fulfillment as individual believers will be directly proportional to our service in the areas that God has gifted and equipped us for. To build a community of faith, you need, first of all, people who are willing to serve. Second, you need people who are willing to trust God in faith. Look at verses 21 to 23 of chapter 8. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God, to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all our goods. For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way. Since we had told the king, the hand of our God is for good on all who seek him, and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and implored our God for this, and he listened to our entreaty. People who are willing to trust God in faith. Ezra anticipated a journey of right around a thousand miles on foot. A journey that would take four to five months. And he didn't ask King Artaxerxes for protection along the way. Think about that for a minute. Imagine a trip where we as a congregation got together, set out on foot to travel to New York City carrying hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash with us, enough cash to furnish a church that's waiting for us to arrive there. Imagine it. And then imagine doing that without state or local police going along with us. It's dangerous. In Ezra's day, there were people who made a living by hanging out along certain trade routes, robbing and killing travelers, and Ezra and company were about to make this trip without protection. Why do you suppose they did it that way? Well, somehow Ezra believed his witness to Artaxerxes, the king of Persia, would be compromised if he asked for soldiers to protect them on their way. Since he had spoken so highly about how God looks after those who trust in him. He'd spoken so highly of God and his care that now he would be embarrassed. He said, ashamed in, in the text here, to ask the king for troops. So imagine uh, the dialogue. Your majesty, I serve the God of the universe, maker of heaven and earth. Nothing is too difficult for him. All power and might belong to him. You are a great king, but he is the king of kings and he is faithful to all of those who trust in him. And all of those who oppose him had better look out. Now, after saying all that, do you really ask for troops? Could, could you imagine? Oh, by the way, your majesty, could you spare some troops to, to protect us as we travel? Ezra couldn't bring himself to do it. It would make everything he had just said about God look foolish. He was convinced that his witness to this Gentile king would be hindered if he asked him for troops after he talked about how great God is. By the way, this is one of the things that makes Ezra different from Nehemiah. When Nehemiah came back to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall, he approached Artaxerxes and asked him for troops. Two different leaders 
Two different styles, two different people who are listening to God and trusting him in their own way. Nehemiah saw the gracious hand of God's provision in giving him all of the provisions he asked for. And Ezra saw God's gracious hand in not needing to ask for those things. What do we do with that? There's no hint in the narrative that Nehemiah lacked faith. But somehow Ezra understood that God was calling him to do it without asking for those things. It all seems to center on Ezra's witness to King Artaxerxes. He didn't want him to think any less of God. And for the sake of God's name, he was willing to take the risk. Situations vary. God's servants vary. God's instructions may vary depending on the situation. We need to trust God as he leads us, and we need to be gracious with those that he leads differently. A community of faith needs to show its faith in action. God will provide opportunities to do that. So under Ezra's leadership, because he didn't ask for protection from the king, he has them take three days for prayer and fasting as they start their journey. Verse 21. They pull up by the Ahava Canal and they stop. Can you imagine the conversation? What are we doing? Oh, we're, we're stopping for a while. We're, we're going to pray. Okay, well, let's just pray quick and get on the road. Right? It's not what Ezra had in mind. This was not a five-minute stop to say, Lord, bless this trip. It was three days. And the agenda? Prayer and fasting. I suppose some people might have pushed back on that. Three days? Are you kidding me? We're going to take three days out of, of this journey? We, we could be miles down the road if we didn't take three days out. And why should we go hungry before a big trip? Shouldn't we fatten ourselves up before the big trip? But why should we fast for three days? Let's just pray fast and get on the road. But it was a critical juncture for the people. And Ezra wanted to get it right. Let me ask you, do any of you doubt that we're at a critical juncture here in the life of River Hills right now? Searching for a senior pastor is a huge thing. Just ask anybody who's serving on the search team. They'll tell you, this is huge. This is worthy of focused prayer. This is worthy of taking time out to humble ourselves before God with fasting. And I would encourage all of us sometime this week to take time out from a meal, just forego one meal, and use that time to pray for the pastoral search. Just, just one meal. We all need to humble ourselves before God to admit our absolute dependence on him. To build a community of faith, we need people who will trust God in faith. And then finally, we need people who are willing to be wholeheartedly committed to God. Verse 24 tells us, Ezra says, I set apart... 12 of the leading priests and 10 of their kinsmen. Set apart. Verse 28 says, I said to them, you are holy. 
That word means set apart. Holy to the Lord. And the vessels are holy. The Hebrew word is kodesh. It means consecrated, dedicated, set apart, given entirely to the Lord's use. And when that describes you, when you are given wholly to the Lord's use, nothing else competes for your attention and for your allegiance. You're all in. And if you're going to build a community of faith, you need people who are wholeheartedly committed to God, completely given to him, all in. When we're committed to God, we are committed to whatever it is he wants us to do, whatever he wants to make of us, whatever he wants to do through us, And that commits us to one another as well. He's put us together to accomplish things together for his purposes. And he has things to accomplish in us and through us as we work together for his glory. Judges chapter 5 verse 2 is uh, from the song of Deborah. It says this, that the leaders took the lead in Israel, that the people offered themselves willingly. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord that the leaders led. Bless the Lord that the people followed. When leaders lead well, and when followers follow well, God gets the glory. We're building a community of faith here in Janesville. We're building it with living stones. So what's your part? Each one of us is a living stone. Each one is important to the building of a faith community. Are you part of the leadership here? Do you aspire to be part of the leadership here? Be a person of the word. Study it. Do it. Teach it. And for all of us, as a part of the community of faith here at River Hills, serve God with the gifts he's given you. Trust him by living out your faith in practical ways. Let your life show that you're wholly committed to him. We need leaders who will study, do, and teach God's word. We need followers who will serve, who will trust, and who will be all in. You'll find some questions for further thought in your program. I hope you'll make use of those in uh, the coming week, maybe around your dinner table, maybe in your growth group. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that though these events took place thousands of years ago, they speak with relevance to us today as we seek to build a community of faith here. And Father, I pray that you would accomplish your purposes through us, and I pray that you would accomplish your purposes in us and transform us, sanctify us, make us more like Jesus as you do. For your glory, in his name, amen.